Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. It started out in Amsterdam in a blaze of red and white where Denmark slayed a dragon at the heat of a Dutch night. Babyface Casper put a sword through the Welsh heart on a night where the homecoming kid justified his maiden start. Chris Gunter world of travels and of the miles they had to roam. But if you're not on board the longship, then your heart is made of stone. And then, of course, to Wembley, where the Azuri took their time to find their stride, to find their groove, to put it on a dime. But when they did in extra time, it was magic from the perch. Left foot, right foot. Fede Chiesa, please take me to church. And Austria, they gave their all, all heart, toil and soul. Pulled one back, but just couldn't find that crucial second goal. And the first big shock in Budapest, the world saw it all as the Czechs took advantage of Delict grabbing the ball. Marlon missed a sitter and the Dutch, they got wrecked. When you appoint Frank de Boer, though, what do you expect? Patrick went and sealed it, went Chico mode once more. Checkmate, Netherlands. Someone opened that trap door. And then we came to a clash of titans in sunny old Seville, reigning champions, number one seeds. This was top of the bill. Hazard warning as Torgan went super Saiyan and dumped Portugal out to leave CR7 crying. The golden generation for Belgium still going in a hurry with enough injuries to give Martinez cause for worry. And then Mega Monday, 14 goals between the games and left all of us feeling life might never be the same. A back pass from Pedri put Unai Simon in a spin. Belarocha hit the gas, scored three, sure to win. No dice. This is knockouts and Croatia roared back before Morata hit redemption with that sweetest volley smack. And you'd think that might be it, but the Alpine derby sprang to life and Seferovic put France's bid in trouble and in strife. A penalty save, a Benzema brace and Pogba hit the mellow before one back and the 90th minute, Gavranovic. Hello. The Swiss kept it tight through the 30 minutes of madness before from the spot and Bappe felt that summertime sadness. 40k at Wembley felt their hearts begin to flutter when Sterling ghosted through the Germans like a knife through hot butter. Muller missed a sitter and the whole thing turned when Southgate substitutions left Yergi Love burned. Super Jack whipped in, Kane met it on his dome, got the whole nation screaming that football's coming home. And finally, the Battle of Hampton, a real pound for pound, saw Ukraine see off Sweden with the last kick of the round. 120 minutes, 12 subs, a real football war left us gasping for breath at the end. Please, no more. 16 became eight and by God, we love Loved it so. This is the Ranks FC podcast. Welcome to the show. Hello, Rank Squad. As you can probably tell, the round of 16 is done and dusted. Eight teams remain in the European Championships. My name is Jack Collins, and this is Ranks FC. And we're here to walk you through just what's happened in the round of 16 and look forward to the quarterfinals and the semi finals, which both take place within the next week. Uh, joining me, as ever, this is Sam Ty, the Rank God. Hello, mate. How are you? Hello, mate. I'm good. Thank you. And uh, slightly hoarse, Mr. Dean Jones, straight off the back of coming back from Wembley to see England see off Germany. <laughs> Dean, how's that voice holding up? Honestly, lads, slightly <laughs> hoarse doesn't really do it. Like, I'm trying really hard to talk. I'm like talking from deep at the back of my voice. Lads, it was unreal. It was absolutely unreal. It sounds like you're on a helium balloon, which is which is kind of great crack, but also like... I'm trying, I'm forcing funny. my, I'm forcing my voice out because it's gone because right. I haven't, I haven't sung like that and cheered like that for a long, long time. It's, we it's talked important. on here about like, um, we've, we've spoken before about bucket list games and England, Germany is a bucket list game. Lads, it, I didn't do it justice. Like beating them two nil, being there. And going, it went mental, lads. Like, like the place went absolutely mental. I, when Harry Kane scored, I fell down three rows of stairs. My legs are just cut up. My legs are totally cut up. All my shins are gone. I ended up on, on top of one of my mates, three down, three rows down from where I was. Um, it it was it's hard to put into words, and it's really weird because the general feeling around the stadium was that we didn't play that well. And we've just beaten Germany 2-0. We haven't conceded a goal in the tournament. 
it might be coming home. <laughs> it <laughs> might know, be coming home. Do you know what's you know the what most as important well? thing about that? You, that's the first time you said it might be coming home. Not saying it's coming home in fast. Not saying any of the things that Mate, you suggest. That is the first time I've heard you seriously address Because that this issue. is how, like we said it before on the preview, like England had, they actually had to play this way to get this result. The way they played in the group stages, they had to play like that and people wanted more from it, but you don't need any more from it because it works and we've gone and we've beaten Germany 2-0, you know, Ukraine in the next, in the quarterfinal in Rome is very, very winnable on Saturday. I've got a ticket for the semi-final next Wednesday. I, I bought it. Up. When Sterling went 1-0 up, my mate went on the app and he was like, lads, it's a lot of money. Do you want to buy it? I was like, yep, do it <laughs> and do it. And we're in. And, um, Look, I might be selling those tickets in a few days. Who knows? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm sure you're going you're gonna to go even if it's Ukraine. I'll be selling it to you, mate. You're the one who'll be buying it off me. <laughs> Look, and we've both been to, we've all three of us been to games this week. We're incredibly lucky, incredibly privileged that we've all been to, to watch a game at Wembley this week. Sam and I went on, on Friday night to watch Italy versus Austria. You've obviously gone today, DJ. And it's just... One, how incredible is it, Sam, to be back at live football? I'm going to come back to you, Dean. I'm going to give you a little bit of a rest for your voice so you can uh, you can take a hit. But but Sam, how incredible was it to be back at live football? Yeah, I thought it was amazing, actually. I still haven't <laughs> recovered from... Um, no, it was... Uh... Stop it, stop it. <laughs> Mate, we had an absolute whale of a time, didn't we? We had just a lovely old time. Just It wasn't just the stadium. And it wasn't just the occasion. And, and obviously that was a massive part of it, but it was like the, the match day. That's that's what really got me because Jack and I, we met sort of like maybe four hours or so before um, before kickoff at the 8 p.m. so that we could watch uh, Denmark play against Wales. We went to an Irish pub. We drank Guinness together. We don't get to do that very often anymore. And it's one of our favorite things to do. And Denmark-Wales was a, a great game to watch if you're one of those sides. And, and we made our way in. There was the buzz. There was the national anthems. It was watching high-class football. We waited 15 months to watch a game and we were blessed with 120 minutes. I felt very lucky. And it was a high-level game as well. Like, it was just... I just had such a wicked time and it was so, so nice to be back in amongst it. It immediately gave you the bug. I want to come back for more. I'm not surprised that Dean's mate was on the app checking for tickets halfway through the the, the round of 16 game because it does it does make you feel like that, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's that kind of buzz of being back in football, that buzz of watching some of your favorite players in the world. What you know, play all of a sudden you're you're thrown into this high level European competition. You get to watch. This isn't just you know, as we say, the group stages. I love and a massive massive proponent of group stages being incredibly important in these competitions. But getting to watch it in that kind of phase where things become so incredibly important and, and where we've seen so many shocks already in, in, in this tournament to get back and, and be part of that and, and watch it, you know, in your home city as well is, is something absolutely incredible. And look, I mean, I think the thing is with us, Sam, is that obviously, you know, I went there <laughs> wanting Italy to win desperately. I love Italy. I love this Italy side. It's well, well renowned on this podcast. Um, but it was incredibly sort of fascinating to watch the way it played out you know the Fede Kies are coming on and scoring goal we'll get onto that in a minute um but it, you know Dean I think just to, to kind of circle back to you to be part of that kind of overall buzz and the stadium must have been you know we saw we were Sam and I were there for 25,000 40,000 there today you're starting to see stadiums become busier again we've already seen obviously in Hungary and and in Copenhagen the fact that stadiums are, are close to capacity but there was a feeling today that Wembley felt full I think for the first time in a looked long full. long time looked full honestly like the concourse before kickoff was unreal like People were so excited to be back in there and at 40,000, like against Germany, it you, you almost didn't want the game to start because the, the anticipation leading up to kickoff was unlike anything I've felt, obviously, in a long time. But perhaps, you know, I think this is one of the top five games I've ever been to in my life. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to rank them right now because I can't think of them all, but like... This will definitely stick with me forever because it meant so much to people because for so many people there, it was their first game back in 15 months. It's a tournament that can lead to something. Like you've seen the way the tournament's broken up. So you know that if England won this game, 
it's actually feasible that you can get to at least the semi-final and have that moment of getting to a final. And honestly, the atmosphere was unbelievable tonight. It was unbelievable. And I can't imagine what it will be like if we do get to the semi-final because people are buzzing and, you know, the songs about like Harry Kane and Harry Maguire, Raheem Sterling, um, Gareth Southgate, like, it was roaring. The whole stadium was roaring. There was hardly any German fans in there. They had a little pocket in the corner. But, um, yeah, I don't even really know what to say anymore. It it was just, it was magic, lads. It really was. And as I say, like, the Sterling goal, I've, I've just seen it for the first time on TV, like, behind the goal, like, what happened and how mad people went. Mm. There, I've had actually a few texts of people that don't really like football and they're not particularly happy that these people can act in this way, 40,000 people at a time when you're only allowed like six families to mix together or whatever it is. And like, you can't have a wedding with more than however many people. I know, but weddings are unlimited now. You just can't have, is it unlimited? You can't have a dance floor. Well, there you go. Um, but, you know, I love football. You Everyone that listens here obviously loves football. And for us, this is our life. This is what it's about. And seeing those scenes, seeing people go as mad as they went was just this release. Like, you can't imagine. And it literally is what we all live for. Like, we just love football, right? And at England and having the potential to win this tournament now is ridiculous to be honest like jack you're you're gonna hate it mate because we are gonna win this tournament you're gonna win it <laughs> we're gonna win hate it. it at all i'm delighted for you and then actually the point i was gonna make is that I, i'm i'm quite jealous you know actually the point i was gonna say was that obviously i went in on on friday night and i was like i'm very pro italy this tournament i, I, I like you know it's well known as i said before um but italy scored and i was like yes let's get it let's have it but it wasn't that release it's not of course yeah. it's not shane long scoring against germany for ireland all those years back it's not robbie brady heading in that header against the italians at, at euro 2016 it's not the same and and i appreciate that and i can look and, and watch all these teams and, and watch these clubs and look i potentially one of my friends has got tickets for the other semi-final um on the tuesday night and we were talking about it and he was like, oh, it might be Spain, Italy. And I was like, that's kind of my dream game, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I love this Spain side. I love this Italy side. I'd love to see them play each other. That's kind of so, so high up the, the kind of things I'd love to see. But it's not the same release that you will have got today. And and, and I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly... I'm delighted for you, to be honest, DJ, that you got to experience yeah. that today because that, that's an experience that, that few football fans get to have. And I think yeah. in, in this time, especially, it's so like hard earned and hard deserved. And yeah. and, and I'm, I'm honestly over the moon for you. It's not, this isn't even a, this isn't even that I would be sad. Look, I'll, of course, I'll give you stick. Of course, I'll give you all these things. But over like at the end of the day, I'm delighted for you. Well, you've seen it firsthand. Like you, we both support Fulham, so you you know what like football means to me, and like when I'm attached to a team, like what it means. And when you can, the, the best thing about your national team doing well generally is that it's one of the few times when all of our mates come together. So in the pub, there was a lot of us, and we support Fulham and Chelsea and Leeds and Tottenham, Man United. And normally you're just like, there's this banter and all the rest of it. And you're, you're hoping that your, your mates lose, basically. And we're in the pub before the game. And it was absolutely roaring in this pub in Baker Street in London. And everyone's on the same side. And that momentum just built all the way through to the tube, through to Wembley, down Wembley Way, into the ground, into the concourse, and then out into the stands. And you've got your mates and like you've got your arms around each other. And it's it's such a difficult thing to explain to people that don't like football. If you like football, then you get it. And whether you like it or not, being England, it doesn't matter. You understand that togetherness that comes from it. And it's it's genuinely impossible for me to replicate in ever part, any other part of my life. Like however much you love your family, your mates, your job, your hobbies, whatever it is, that moment, when you've won a massive football match, it feels like the best thing in the world. I don't know why. I, I really don't know why it feels as good as it feels. But, but it does. It just does. And, and, and that full-time whistle was just brought a, about an unbelievable feeling around Wembley. 
and as you as you came down the stairs and now into London, like just the feeling around London, coming back on the trains, everyone just seeping back through from wherever they watch the game in their shirts and everything, and and chanting the songs, especially when there's a feeling that you might actually win the tournament because. I don't actually think England fans have really thought they would win a tournament before. Like not since Euro 96 have I thought this. I think we can win this tournament. And I think it's the first time a lot of England fans have felt that way. And we'll see, like we'll probably lose to Ukraine now in Rome on Saturday. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very exciting feeling. And um, yeah, I, I, it's hard to put into words beyond that. Yeah, mate, I'm. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna leave you go because your voice is uh, your voice is starting to thin out, and uh, and I don't. Oh, mate, it's actually getting better. Anymore. I think it's getting stronger, but <laughs> I definitely want to go. We need to we need to record tomorrow. <laughs> we need you tomorrow. We need you right as rain. We need you in studio tomorrow. So uh, yeah, and I'm not in the right frame of mind to be honest to assess the other teams like you two are. Um, as long as as long as I listen to this back tomorrow and England are number one, I'll be happy because <laughs> well, we are the favourites to win this competition. You are indeed the favourites <laughs> to win this competition. But as the song says, DJ, uh, they talk about football coming home. And then one night in Rome, dot, dot, dot. We were strong. We had grown. Yeah, well, it can't get any better, can it? So you have to, uh, <laughs> we'll <laughs> you'll see, have to see how we'll that see. one turns out. Um, right, Dean Jones, thank you so much for uh, for coming on for, mm. with this voice. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, have, a good, have a good sleep, buddy. Yeah, I hope it wasn't too much of an awful audio experience listening to my voice like this, but deal with it. I, th- I think it's worth it. I think the, uh, <laughs> that raw experience of exactly what it means to come off that game for a real thing. All right, we could. Um, all right, Dean, uh, Cheers, thank lad. you so much. Sam, it might not have had the same effect on our voices, but we had some stories from Saturday night at Italy, Austria, as well at Wembley. Um, none more than the fact that you cost me a grand and a half. Um, <laughs> and I think I'm probably just going to have to explain it because uh, when Fede Chiesa came on late on in the game, I said to Sam, Fede Chiesa is going to score and he's going to score next. And um, and Sam said, yeah, I mean, you always say stuff like this. And, and Sam's credit is correct. I do always say some random stuff like this and it very rarely comes off. Um, anyway, I said, no, 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 no. Fede Chiesa, this is now in the break between 90 and the, the first half of extra time. Um, I said, no, Fede Chiesa is going to score. And he goes, yeah, yeah, all right, all right. Anyway, about 10 minutes after that, the game's kicked off again. <laughs> and I've gone, right, I just know that Fede Chiesa is going to score next. I'm going to put £100 on it. It was 16 to 1 for Fede Chiesa to score next. And so I was like, I'll put £100 on it, put £100 on it. And as the thing was trying to do the, the Face ID app, Sam decided to wave his hand in front of the Face ID and be like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Obviously, don't put £100 on Fede Chiesa scoring next. Um, and to Sam's credit, again, he is also correct here. But in this instance, Sam wasn't correct. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so three seconds later, hang on. I've put so I've I've gone right. I'm putting a fiver on it. <laughs> Sam's gone. Okay, fine. Whatever. I put a fiver on it. As the face ID is going through, the ball lands to fit Chiesa on his head. He then does the seal dribble, pings it off his right foot, pings it in with his left foot, and I'm just sitting there looking at Sam going. <laughs> He just cost me a grand and a half. Like no, a grand and a no, half. no. What happened first was you dogpiled me. We ended up in a pile hugging. We did that's, do that, yeah. That's the first thing that happened. You were you ended up hugging me and you were on top of it. And once you once you consoled yourself and realized what happened, you turned around and went, hang on a minute. And to be look, you've given me credit all through this process, and you're right to. You can't be putting 100 quid on the next goal scorer. You'd never be putting 100 pound on an in-play ever in my life. I've never put more than 15 quid on a singular bet in my entire life. Um, so I don't know why I was going to break this for this exact moment. Um, but I was willing to. It, maybe maybe just the occasion got to me. Maybe it was the, you know, what Dean's been saying, that buzz of being back in the stands, being back mm. in the occasion. Um, but in this occasion, in this instance, while Sam's, morals and his uh, overalls reading of the situation is correct i would be a grand and a half richer he would <laughs> yeah so my punishment despite the fact that and i didn't appreciate this at the time my punishment was to i bought you your next three drinks i yeah. think despite the fact that you still won what hundreds of pounds i won 16 to one at five yeah i won 80 quid right 
So I was really lost out there. Yeah, well, I I mean, I lost out on £1,520. So I don't know who <laughs> actually lost out the most. But, okay, um... fine, 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 fine. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> but it was um, it, it was quite the moment. Look, um, it, we had we had lots of fun. And that was, uh, you know, a minor mark on what was a, a magical <laughs> evening. I mean, there were no, great in the streets. That was um, the best part of the night. Yeah, it wasn't the best part of my night. The best part of my night was Freddy Chiesa doing that goal because it was actually great. It was um, great, yeah. It was, yeah. We got to witness one of the genuine moments of this tournament so far because Fede Chiesa just did the business and came off the bench, did the business. When Italy were really needing something to spark them into life, they'd been warned, shot across the bow from Marco Arnautovic's header that was ruled out for offside. And Chiesa came on and provided that difference. And, you know, it was it was remarkable to be a part of that. Um, so yeah, that's a Sam and I story. It doesn't quite involve quite as a, as much singing on trains from Baker Street to Wembley as Dean's did, but uh, we we did have fun nonetheless. Uh, and with that, we're going to move on to the main part of this podcast, where we're going to be ranking all of the remaining teams one to eight on their ability, basically now to win this competition. We're going to be previewing in that the quarterfinals and semifinals. Now that we know how the whole bracket shakes out, uh, and looking back at the game in the round of 16 as a whole. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. I'm Jack Collins. I'm joined by Sam Tai. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And it's time to, to deep dive now into the, the ins and outs of this round of 16 and the teams who are basically qualified. So I'm going to chuck the floor to you. You're going to lay it down and we'll go from there. Yeah, time for another ranking. Look, there is a difference this time. It's time for your your, your standard Santai disclaimer. Uh, last week, we took a look at the round of 16 teams, all 16 that are qualified, and we ranked them based on what we'd seen from the group stages. So just taking a look at the performances of their three games and, taking, and just ranking them accordingly. This time around, we're switching it up a little bit. Obviously, some of that past performance is included, but we're starting to look at who can win this tournament now. Dean's convinced it's England, so we could have ended the podcast after five minutes, but We've decided to be objective and we've decided to analyze everybody else as well for parity. So as I rank these teams, this is me saying that in eighth is Ukraine, because I think that Ukraine are the eighth most likely team to win the tournament from this point. And we carry on from there. All good? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So in eight is Ukraine. So I think Ukraine at that. <laughs> but they are eighth. They are eighth. And look, we can start with the good news. They were my dark horse pick. But Ukraine can be, I'd say, extremely pleased with, with making it to this round. Um they kind of botched the groups a little bit, um, a bit up and down. We talked about the fact that they managed to claw themselves level with the Dutch and then lose it again. And they they really thought, I reckon, they really thought they'd mess this up. Um, they were coming through as one of the weakest third place teams and it was in the balance. It was really, really in the balance. And if they'd thought they'd messed it up as two, I wouldn't blame them. And they snuck in. Then they've got to this round of 16 game against Sweden which you know most people thought would be Spain, but it wasn't. And they've managed to claw their way through this one as well. And they caused Sweden far more issues tonight than I thought they would. It was a it was a very good performance from Zinchenko that led a much better offensive effort than I, 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 I considered there might be. And Jack, you asked the question, can they pick themselves up off the map and go again? And they did that and they deserve credit for that. But they're eighth and it's very simple as to why. You look forward, they've got an extremely difficult game against England, who are yet to concede a goal and we'll come on to later. And they've just been involved in the Battle of Hampton, a game so tiring and so vicious and dogged by injury. They will be at a genuine disadvantage here in terms of fitness and recovery time because they've played later than England. They've played for longer than England and they've just played murder ball with Sweden, redefining the phrase murder ball once and for all. It was an absolute chaos pit out there. Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, it was absolutely brutal. So I think all things considered, they deserve eighth spot, but still not delighted about having to play against them, to be honest with you. Not when they can stand, withstand that amount of viciousness and feistiness and come out the right side of it and pick themselves up like that. Those are good mental characteristics. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that the fatigue is going to have to probably play a part here. Like the fact is that that they look dead in their feet there after 120 minutes. And look, obviously it will give you a short-term adrenaline boost scoring 120th minute set winner to send you through to the, the quarterfinals, which is all well and good. But it doesn't take away the fact that you have just put 120 minutes of incredibly, incredibly difficult work in against a, a good Sweden side, right? That you know, against a side who haven't conceded very much. And, and look, Ukraine must be bouncing forwards in terms of they've gone, right, we've got out of the group despite losing a bad game against Austria. We, we, we gave the Netherlands a good game. 
um, in that first game of the group stages, now beating a Sweden team that, you know, both of us said were a good side who are going to be tricky for anyone to play against, especially on the break. Ukraine, we saw, you know, basically tuck in a little bit more, play very, very deep today, be be difficult to break down. The, you know, the, the Sweden goal comes from a deflected shot by, by Forsberg. Yes, Sweden hit the bar and the post in the second half, but Ukraine had their chances as well. Um, and they are gonna they are gonna dig in. I think it's fair to put them bottom of this list because I do think that the late game is gonna play an impact. The fact that they've got what three players went off injured today, that's gonna have an impact. The fact that is that you know parts of this squad are looking like they're starting to age. They they've now you're going to have to play three games in a week. That's stressful. Um, there's a lot going on in that in that regard. But I'm, I, I think you're absolutely right. I wouldn't be writing the Ukraine off at any point. I, I don't think anybody's writing anyone off at this point. That would be my take. You know, no once, once Switzerland are beating France in a round of 16 game, then suddenly you're not writing anybody off, right? This, this whole tournament gets blown wide open. So England yeah. should, on paper beat Ukraine. They have an incredibly difficult task against a good England side who haven't conceded a goal yet, as you said. But, you know, this this isn't played on paper. And, and, and at the end of the day, this Ukraine side clearly don't know when to lie down, when to roll over. They don't know when they're beat. Um, and, and they do have players in Malinovsky, in Zinchenko, in Yaremchuk, in Yarmolenko, who are capable of magic. Um, and that means they're a bit of a weird proposition for anyone to face, especially in the, off the back of basically being battle hardened for this game. Yeah, very awkward team, isn't it? Because it's full of threats and you just don't know who's going to fire. You never know who, who's going to pop up. But uh, I'll move into seven. And uh, this is where I'm going to put the Czech Republic. Last time out, I basically said I didn't think the Czechs were that great. And they go and beat the Dutch 2-0. Um there's probably those of you that will probably push that in, push that or, or present that to me and say, this is evidence that you were wrong about the checks. But I, what I would say in return to that was this game swung hard on a key decision, which was Delict's red card. And it just completely and utterly spiraled out of control. And that we often talk about how these games are played with extremely fine margins, right? Games are played right on the edge and there's a bit of luck involved here. And there's a, and a knock here and a deflection there and a decision here and an awkward thing there. And nothing sums that up better than that crazy minute in the, in the Netherlands against the Czech Republic when Daniel Marlin goes through and should finish one V one. And what less than a minute later, the Ligt has been red carded or has, or has been pulled up for a foul. They go down to 10 men and they capitulate. They do, they capitulate and the Czech Republic do very well to score and then to ice that game late on. Patrick Schick at it again. Very, very impressive. Schicko mode. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, Schicko mode. So while the win, it doesn't really change that much for me in terms of like my estimations for the Czech Republic kind of going on and on and on in the tournament. I've also gotten down in seventh for a reason. Uh, again, it's the same with the Ukraine. Like that resilience, that resilience is a factor for them. Um, and look, they've got they've got Denmark. It's not like they've got Spain, you know. It's not like they've got Italy. Like they've got Denmark. This is this is actually a, a winnable fixture for them. However, as you can see from the ranking, you know who I'm favouring in that one. Yeah, I mean, is the reason that you have the Czechs above the Ukraine here purely because who they're playing? So they have to play Denmark, who I don't think they'll beat. And then if they do, if they do beat Denmark, they have to beat England, who they've already lost to. So I feel like the route to victory for the Czech Republic is very, very unlikely. And that, that tie, like the route ties into that, the overall quality ties into that. Those that would like to say, well, they beat the Dutch, they could beat anyone, I would say, weird game, weird moment, changed everything, potentially a little bit fortunate yeah, to I, come out of that looking quite so comprehensive. Yeah, I think that you can you can also look at that and say it's the correct decision. Delict just grabs the ball. I have mm -hmm. no idea what he's thinking. I, I, th I saw someone describe it as... Um, <laughs> Delict was one of these people who got pushed over in the playground and grabbed the ball to take it home with him so that no one else could play anymore. Um, <laughs> and I enjoyed that description of what happened. I have no idea what on earth he thinks he's doing. Um, like it's one of those moments, a bit like Chris Meppham in the in the playoff final for Bournemouth, where the player goes past him and he just rugby tackles him. And I'm like, why have you done that? Just let yeah. him score. You have 11 he reaches, men. He reaches like, out. 
you have 11 men and you can come back from a goal down. It's not the end of the world. Coming down back with 10 men, you know, and having a free kick is not useful in that part of the game. And we'll say exactly the same with Delict. You know, I think he might be a little bit unfortunate with the way the ball bounces, but he definitely stretches out his arm to grab it. I have no idea what he thinks he's doing. Um, and and ultimately, I think he's cost his nation, frankly. And that's not he's not the only one. You mentioned the Marlon miss there. I think that that's a huge moment in the game. It's one of those pivotal swings that everything kind of changes on. And if he just slots that, then maybe the whole thing turns out differently. But the Czechs took full advantage. And I think they need to be given due credit. They were solid up to that point. You know, they, they didn't concede huge amounts of chances. Yes, the Dutch will probably consider themselves a wee bit unlucky not to have been ahead at that point, but not not by huge amounts, I would say. It's not like they battered them for, for no, 60 no, no. minutes and and got away with it. The Czechs were relatively solid, who managed to to control the game. Holles, who who played the who scored the goal, obviously, um, played that kind of defensive midfield role. He is a centre back wearing number nine, playing defensive midfield, scoring headers. Not sure what that's all about, but we'll carry on with it. Um and and you look at it and you think, okay, you know, they, they've got something there that they're clearly happy with as a setup. Denmark will find them difficult to break down i think um but i think you're right in the uh, if you would if i was a betting man and you said to me who's getting through this tie between denmark and the czech republic i'm not a betting man anymore after what <laughs> happened at wembley um it was if you said to me who's getting through between these games denmark and the czech republic i would say denmark so i think it's probably fair to put them in here at, at this point of the of the ranking because that's right that's not to say they're not a very solid uh very cohesive very attritional unit that rely on little bits of magic from certain players in order to get them out. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, that's basically England, but just England are better at it because they have better players and across the board. So that's where we're at. Yeah, probably. So that's the Czechs in seventh and Ukraine in eighth. And those are two teams I feel like, I feel like they're going to lose their next games. Can't say that about number six, which is where I have put Switzerland. And this is where we need to talk about this remarkable, remarkable performance and result and just evening of football in which the Swiss took France to penalties, drew 3-3, were 3-1 down with 10 minutes to go and got it back to 3-3. Even had a goal disallowed for a marginal offside at 3-2 and the warning bell should be going off and France still managed to concede one more get through to extra time and beat them on penalties. And it's Mbappe that misses the key spot kick. I mean, it is absolutely remarkable. And Switzerland was so good on the night. They really were. Like, we, we you know, the, the way we frame this conversation so often is about the big team, the one with expectation. And we talk about how poor they've been and how flat they've been. And that's exactly what we did in our, in our live score recap, you know, talked about how flat France were. And look, there were tactical issues at play. The, the formation switch from Deschamps, the way he used Rabiot, the way he used or the fact that he fielded Longley at all. You know, these are all factors. But yes, they came out flat. Yes, they disappointed. But like, man, Switzerland took full advantage. And like even Harris Seferovic is dominating centre-backs. That's why you know it's going your way. You've got Akanji in defence, absolutely dominating. You've got Xhaka in the middle, just pulling strings and just like, just dominating as well. And Zuba running up and down the left side. And Babu came on provided a key moment. Gavranovic comes on. In fact, every time Gavranovic has come off the bench in this tournament, he's looked brilliant. Yeah. He's looked absolutely brilliant. So what a spark to have off the bench in that respect. And wow. Yeah. It's very easy to get swept up in that. Very easy to get swept up in that. And to look at Switzerland and go, hang on a minute. Did I, did I misdiagnose this? Did I, did I not clock these guys? Do I need to give these guys more respect? And I toyed with, with maybe a fifth, but ended up putting them in a six because the key principle of the ranking, how likely do I think these guys are to win the tournament? And the facts are they're on the really strong side of the bracket, which is naturally going to work against them, particularly in comparison to the team I'm going to talk about next. And Jack is suspended for the next game. He's obviously been absolutely running things in midfield. So, so good in that and, game against France. Yeah. And I just a couple of factors there that I just look at it and I go, can you produce this again? I guess I'm saying I'd be a little bit surprised if they could, um, particularly without the main man in midfield um, and with the next opposition being just as difficult as the last. How many times can you go? You know, this is what we talk about sometimes as well. Like this route is difficult. 
So the Swiss now play Spain. Can you can they go and do this again? It's it's tough. It's a very tough ask. Yeah, I mean, this is it. Like, I think you look at, at what they did to France and how they they house, hassled and harried and and played France and and the way that, that there was there was that what half an hour where France were unbelievable. The Swiss rode it out and they were. You know, they, they obviously were 3-1 down. They've pushed their way back into it. They've gone direct. France didn't like it. The, maybe the, the point I would make here is the reason I think that they, they do have a chance against Spain is because we saw that when Croatia went really direct in the last 10, 15 minutes of that game against Spain, they had some real joy. And if you can get the ball into Seferovic, you know, we, we said that you, you mentioned Clement Longley there. I, I thought he's powder puff would be the phrase I would hmm. use in terms of his aerial defending uh, against Seferovic. But I have no real conviction in Spain's centre-backs to do any better. Um, now, I think what Spain will do is they'll stop Switzerland having the ball, um, whereas France didn't really. And, and, and this is the whole thing about this France side. I was a little bit confused about where they saw themselves. It was almost like they, they couldn't get themselves through the gears. And in a way that Spain could, yeah, well, you know, relax, we've seen Belgium France, do. Was... Yeah, we've seen Belgium go through the gears in this tournament, right? We saw them against Denmark. They've come out of that game. They were like, you know, one nil down thinking, hang on, this isn't going to plan. We'll just shift a couple of gears and win the game. We've seen Spain do it now twice in the last couple of games. We haven't seen France shift gears. Uh, uh, you know, aside from that 10 minute spell where, where Benzema scored twice, you know, we, we saw them kind of go, hang on, okay, fine. And then immediately step back off the gas again. It was like France were like, all right, job done. Don't worry about it. Like, we're France, we're world champions. It doesn't really matter. Um, and, and Switzerland took full advantage. Now, I don't think Spain will make that mistake. Um, I think Spain are less equipped to deal with Switzerland than France were. But I think they will be more, I think they'll be more switched on, especially given to what happened in the last round for them. I feel like they're, they're not going to go and make that mistake again. And, and that's where I'm at with Switzerland, is that I think they can cause Spain trouble. Um, but whether they can do that in a long-term kind of plan with, with Spain having so much of the ball is a different question. Those Spain possession figures are things to be wary of and things you have to take into account. How much damage can you cause an opponent if you, if you just don't have the ball? Um, and that's not to say that Spain controlled the life out of the, the last game they played, because they, they really didn't. And we'll get onto that soon. Um, but how much, how big a chunk of that possession can the Swiss can the Swiss get? Can they wrestle off Spain? And what can they do with it? Do they have efficient enough difference makers? Those are the questions that I ask and I, I worry about the answer. And so I do, I do. That's, that's how I end up with them in sixth, but I'm full of respect for the, for what they put together against France. That cannot be understated. Yeah, I think we maybe owe Harris Seferovic a slight apology. Now, this is not me backtracking on him not being good uh, because a stop clock is right twice a day. Um, mm -hmm. But but I do think he he did actually put himself about in a very very you know, big way, and he looked, he, he bullied Clement Longley. Like you know that's not this is a defender who plays for Barcelona. Now he's not the best aerial presence. I've just said it. Powder puff in the air, but but Severovic got it done, and uh, mm -hmm. and I, I I had for one had written him off. So so I'm I'm going to give him some respect, some some due credit because he was good in that game against France, especially how bad he was in that first game against Wales to turn it around and put in a performance like that against the world champions. Fair play. Fair play. Yeah, fair play, fair play. All right, we'll move into fifth. Uh, this is where I have put Denmark, my second team. Everyone's second team, I would imagine. A team who really just seem to be getting stronger and they've just demolished Wales 4-0 in the round of 16. How much credit do you give them for that? I had them as my worst team in the knockouts. Dean disagreed. Dean was wrong. Wales are not very good and the, the Danish made them pay. They did. So we can maybe temper that praise a little bit, but the thing I like about this team the most is they are 100% aware of exactly what they are. They know exactly how they can cause teams damage. And then they back it up with this element of heart and soul and bravery with, that they have um, fostered during this tournament because of what has happened to them and because of what happened at Parkham with Christian Eriksen. And it's just given them this extra edge. They are a different team to what they were supposed to be in this tournament. I'd hazard, I don't, I'd hazard a suggestion that they're better than they should be because the mold of player that they all have now and the togetherness they're showing has just elevated all of their games. And it is incredible to watch. Absolutely incredible. And I've got them in fifth because I've got them, basically I would put them as on paper favorites 
to beat the Czech Republic in the quarterfinals. And so I've got them going through to the semis, but they're on the weak side of that bracket. So they don't necessarily just get into the top four. And of course, with the presence of England there at the semi-final, if England were to beat Ukraine. So I've ended up putting them in fifth. And from this point on, we're in heavyweight territory, no doubt. Maybe that's a bit harsh of me on Denmark, but I've just, just held them back a touch. Yeah, I, I think I'd have them just above Spain, if I'm honest. Uh, I, I think that Spain have... I like this Spain time, team a lot, and I'd love nothing more, aside from maybe Italy winning it, um, for this Spain side to go on and, and prove everybody wrong. And, and mostly, I just imagine Gerard Moreno lifting a, a Euro, Euro 2020 medal and a, a Europa League medal in the, same, in the same year. You know, things that dreams are made of, if you're Jack Collins, <laughs> right? Um, but I, I just think that they're a little bit flimsy um, at times. And... I think Denmark aren't. I think Denmark are really, really robust. They're incredibly athletic. And and actually, maybe the point is here, I completely agree with you, in that Denmark are maybe better than they should be. And it's one of those kind of weird things to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, in that in Christian Eriksen, they have a wonderful playmaking 10 who's quite languid, who you know likes the game to flow through him, who likes to control tempo, et cetera, et cetera. And they've kind of with his absence, with his enforced absence, have basically molded into a team that just are really, really robust. They're really mm. attritional. They work incredibly hard. They're really athletic. They, they, they crash they, around, don't they? They do. It's a bit crash bang wallop, but mm. I, I really like it. And I think if you're playing crash bang wallop and you have a left back like Jürgen Mailer, and you can just let him like absolutely maraud up and down that left-hand side. If you have someone like Damsgord to, to kind of tie it all together in the final third to equally, you know, who's going to press, who's going to hassle, who's going to harry, but also is technically very, very gifted. If you have a front three of, of Paulson, of Dolberg, of Brathwaite, who all are incredibly selfless in some ways, in the way that they go about their press, in the way that they go about their work in the final third, who are happy to not be the main goal scoring threat in so many ways. And you said this about Brathwaite on Twitter, but I think you can apply it to all of them is that they're not all like, Oh, the goals have to come through me. They're kind of happy for it to, to kind of go everywhere. And then you kind of mix it out to the rest of the team. And, and suddenly you look at this side and you go, where are the weaknesses? And I'm not hundred percent sure there are any. Now there are teams that are better than Denmark. There are teams who as a cohesive unit, I think are more skillful, who are more talented, who are better footballers than this Denmark team. But I don't see too many who are quite this well-balanced. And I don't see too many who know exactly what they are about, who know exactly how they're going to execute a game plan, who know exactly how they think they can get on the end of things in the way that this Denmark side can. And that's why I'd have them perhaps a little bit higher. Yeah, I don't think I disagree with any of that. Um... I think it's just those uh, the fine margins between the different places. We're just sort of rate, and maybe I just assume that England are invincible after what happened today. Did you hear we beat uh, Germany two 0 at Wembley, Jack? No, no one's ever mentioned it to me. No, no one's mentioned it. No worries. All right, we'll move to fourth. And based on what you've just said with regard to Spain and Denmark, I think you're going to be a little bit surprised by this. But I've put Belgium in fourth. Mm. I'm not. I'm not hugely. I thought you might do this. Yeah. Do you, why did you think I might do this? Because I think that you are still not convinced that Belgium without Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard are going to be good enough to get past this Italy side in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I'd say that's about it. Um, They have Italy, then perhaps Spain. That is a disgustingly tough run. And the fitness of Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard, both of them, not just one of them, is in serious question. I've seen mixed reports, various reports on their fitnesses, but it seems like they're 50-50 at best to play, or Kevin De Bruyne is anyway. Thibaut Courtois has come out and said that Hazard needs a miracle to play the next game. And look, he might be fit for the for the following one. You, you, you don't know, but will they be around for that one? It's, it's, a, it's a tough call. So fourth may feel a little bit, well, it might feel one or two places low for Belgium, depending on your point of view. Um, but with that kind of context and you know what we're trying to build the ranking around, it does start to make a little bit more sense, but all being well, they're an absolute force. They've got match winners all over the pitch. They're a relentless unit. They've won all four of their games. They've just put Portugal out. I'd be terrified of Belgium if we came up against them. I'm starting to think we won't see them though, because they've been horribly unlucky. Not only have they lost Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard here, but they started the first match and lost their best wing back in Timothy Castagna. Yep. I mean, if there's, there's a case to put forward for the unluckiest team in this tournament, it is actually the Belgians. And they've come through so far okay. 
but they haven't played a team like Italy. That's the next step. And I guess what I'm saying is I'm not sure it can happen without the two big guns. And that's why they end up in fourth. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's Torgan Hazard who, who steps up obviously against Portugal to score the winner. Um, but I think so much of that is made by the, the, the rest of the team creating spaces. Now, the, the thing that they might come up against in Italy is that they might come up against with Romelu Lukaku just deciding he's going to pull up every tree available to him in order to just make his mark against the country in which he plays his football, right? There, there is that element of it. And we saw a wee little bit of it with, with Danny Olmo coming on against the Croats, right? You know, yeah. just suddenly being like, no, no, I just want to prove to you lot that I'm incredibly good. Now, I know he doesn't play there anymore, but, you know, some basic way he had his footballing education in a, in a senior sense. So to go in there and basically be like, Right, I'm just going to just make a point here by being the most unbelievable player in the world, and and I wouldn't put it past Romelu Lukaku to do that because I think he has that in his locker. Um, so so there's that element of it, which is which is a bit strange. Um, but but I do I do completely agree with you that if if they do lose De Bruyne and Hazard, look, it's not like they've got poor replacements to come in here, right? It's the, you know there's incredibly talented footballers to, to come in here in in Juice Mertens and Yannick Carrasco. You'd imagine Yannick Carrasco will go to wing back and Torgan Hazard will step forward into the front three. Um, or, to or the other work. way around. I don't, yeah, whichever way. Whichever way it kind of falls, right? You know, whichever way the apples fall. And then there's the likes of Jeremy Doku coming off the bench. There's still a lot of players here who, who could cause mischief, who who will hmm. be able to get this Italy side. But I do agree with you that if they are missing De Bruyne and Hazard, which now seems likely, um, then this side is less scary than they would be with them i mean that seems like the most ridiculously obvious thing to say in the history of, of, of football but <laughs> there are also teams who who oh, we've just spoken about denmark looking better without on paper their best player in christian erickson right um i don't think that belgium are going to be like that i don't think that you take away tech belgium's two big you know cockpit superstars behind the striker and they suddenly become a better side or a better unit or a more cohesive unit because of it whereas i think in other sides that might be a little bit more plausible yeah oh yeah i would agree with that and look you've managed to bring up spain i think in every single one of these so far so i might as well just go ahead and mention them now and fully bring them into the conversation in number three it is the most discussed team so far spain now spain can can look incredible frankly they can look incredible and they can also wobble pretty hard. So it feels really weird to say that while Spain can boast ultimate control over a game of football for long periods, they also feel like maybe the most self-destructible team left in this competition. Lucho's not helping. I think both of those statements are strangely quite correct. And look, I'm not just I'm not just pointing the finger at like Pedri's ridiculously weird own goal. I'm not pointing at that and going, look, look what they could do to themselves. We've seen it all through the tournament. We saw it in the first game against Sweden and we've seen them tested. We've seen them give up big chances. We've seen just like weird, weird things happening. It's like little vortexes all over the pitch when Spain play and weird, weird shit starts happening. I don't really get it at all, but... They've given up big chance, like a big number of good chances in two of their four games. In the two games that they've played against good teams, Sweden and Croatia, good, not great teams, they've looked on the ropes at points or given up really, really valuable chances. And it's that vulnerability that has made me put them in third place, not second, which was a late adjustment that I made just before we started recording. And I may have convinced myself to do that. Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree. I mean, we we've just had this discussion, right, about about how Switzerland could get at them by going mm. direct and and feeding the big man, which is weirdly something that Switzerland very much have in the locker with the wing backs, with the with the full backs, with the ability to 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 put in you know dead balls and and set pieces uh, that they can get at Spain and 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 Spain looked weirdly vulnerable to that, despite the fact that you know this centre back partnership on paper. It, you know, whether it be Pau Torres or Eric Garcia and, and Emmerich Laporte should be more than capable of doing that. Pau Torres came on, you know, someone who we've seen deal with aerial threats all year for Villarreal and just looked like he couldn't head the ball. It, it was absolutely bizarre in, in so many ways. I think also there, there might be a point that this Spain side does lack a little bit of leadership. Now they've looked better with Sergio Busquets back in the side and I don't think that's a, a coincidence. I don't think that's 
also, you know, it's not because Busquets is a wildly better midfielder at this point in his career than a lot of the others in the Spain Arsenal. Um, I think that they're so stacked in midfield that on paper you could play any of the combinations and they would absolutely thrive. Um, but his leadership and his ability to calm everybody down and, and just slow the game down when it needs to be slowed is important and, and 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 has been and will be important because at the back, I think they do lack a little bit of that. And, and I think across this side, leaders are a little bit in short supply. So, so there's that element of combustibility about Spain, which I don't necessarily see. I, I think you've got them a wee bit high, if I'm honest. Like, I really like them. I hope they do really well. I'd be delighted if Spain won it. But I just think they're a little bit too volatile for me. And it's what makes them really fun to watch. And it's why I love watching them. And it's why they're, they're unbelievably good value. It's why that game against Croatia was so fun. But it also is an inherent flaw within this side that they are combustible. They are volatile. They do have that streak in them that I feel that can just chuck games away in the blink of an eye. Yeah, they can. Yeah, and it, it's coming from all different sources as well. Like it's 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 Morata missing chances, it's missed penalties, it's central defensive calamities, it's mistakes in midfield, it's forty-yard own goals, the keepers taking us off. It's all sorts of different. I think. Things. I, really, I think. Really I think we can write off the own goal as just. I think a we can. Accident. I think we can. But it's like weird things keep happening. It's it's really strange. Actually, I got a um, I got a text from an agent after the Spain game, which said, I've never seen a player devalue himself more at an international tournament than Paul Torres just did. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that's particularly, particularly thought, unreasonable. Thought, Harry yeah, Kane was doing his best until today. <laughs> um, well, actually, until the 86th minute of yeah. this game today. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's a weird one. I, I think the only other thing, the thing that maybe that is the unknown variable here, shall we say, if, if we're going to put it like that, is that, a lot of the teams that Spain have played so far are happy to let Spain have the ball. They're quite happy to just sit off and be like, yeah, yeah, have it. We'll try and catch you on the counter. We, we don't mind. We're not, we're not that bothered about trying to actually play you at your own game. I'm intrigued as to what happens when Spain come up against a side who are like, no, 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 what are you doing? We want the ball. And, and, and they go for that, you know, someone who's going to press them high, somebody who's going to try and get at this Spain side. And, I'd be intrigued, one, if that's Switzerland with their kind of a little bit more robust nation, not that they'll try and have loads of the ball, but if they'll try and push really high, if they'll try and press and hassle and harry in the way that they did to France, but also if they get to the semi-final and it happens to be an Italy and they're oh, like... will press them, yeah. Well, Italy will also be like, we, we we don't want you to have the ball for the whole game. That's not how our game works. We want to have the ball. And, and you know, England to a point, I think is similar, right? In that not that England are a really, really possession heavy dominant side but I don't think they'd be that pleased and especially at Wembley with 60,000 people there if Spain have 85% possession people are going to kick off the place is going through the roof like so so there's that element of of Spain that might might open up as in if teams start to try and play against them Spain just suddenly just be like, <laughs> you know how much of the ball we have like and and does that does that kind of help them later on in the tournament because this is the way they've been playing against low block sides to try and then open up sides who are a little bit more open because they're going to have to come at them a little bit more. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's an interesting point. They've played four very similar games um, and I mean, I'm delighted for them that, that they don't have to go and play at the pitch in Seville anymore, which is obviously just not fit for purpose whatsoever. And particularly if you're trying to play a quick tempo possession game on the floor with you know 85% possession at one point, playing on that thing, is, a, is an absolute nightmare, absolute nightmare. Uh, it's no wonder they look devastating in patches in this fourth game, finally playing away from the uh, the Cartuja. So I'm very interested to see that. But you bring up England there, and that's that's the next team. They land in second place. Dean is going to be furious. He's going to be furious. I was a bit worried that um, we talked to Dean about his experiences at the game and that we'd come on to England later in my ranking and I'd be crossing over similar ground and I wouldn't have much more to add. But Dean said something, that I found quite strange. He said the feeling in the game was that we didn't play very well. Mm. I thought I thought we were excellent. I, I really did. I was really pleased and really proud of the performance. And I think almost to a man, with a couple of exceptions, which you can get onto, I think everyone can claim to have played really well. And it's one of those weird things where like, okay, no, we didn't dazzle. Um, you know, they're, they're, you're, not, you're going to make like a highlight reel out of that on YouTube and it's going to be eight minutes long and there were no step overs, there, no dribbles. You could, you could. You could put it on the eight minutes where Jack Grealish was on the pitch. <laughs> True, yeah. yeah. His seven touches and uh, one pre-assist and one assist. Um, but what, what 
what we did see was a really intense game of football, a really intense game of football. And England handled it. And they deserve credit for that, like they do. And the first 10 minutes were horrible because they didn't settle into the game at all. And then they finally found their feet and they started to dominate the ball. You know, in that first half, latter stages of the first half, like it was all England. And all right, the chances weren't coming, but the pitch was nice and wide. It was stretched out. The midfield two were on a yellow, but still played really, really well. Sterling eventually breaks it open. Saka was brilliant. Greedish comes on and makes a difference. Kane was terrible for 70 minutes, barely touched it, but then finally comes to life a little bit later on. And look, I, I know that, again, England didn't muster that many shots on goal and things like that. And, and maybe it wasn't that thrilling, but... Look at how hard Mats Hummels was having to work in that back line just to keep England at bay. Like he was, he he had to pull off like four different heroic pieces of defending mm-hmm. to stop England from scoring. And that to me was a measure that that Germany were actually on the ropes. And I really thought the occasion was handled very well. And then the game was played very well. And like again, so I'm not, I'm not used to this, right? I'm not used to this. I'm not used to beating Germany. I'm used to losing to Germany. I look out there and I see Joshua Kimmich crying at full time. I think that's usually me, not the German guy. That's weird. And we still haven't considered a goal and we're playing the same football and it's not amazing to watch, but by God, is it effective? And now you've got an on paper route to the final of Ukraine and winner of Denmark and Czech Republic. You could not ask for a kinder route. And that's part of why they're at second place. Because like we said, when, when the bracket was drawn in the Champions League, and Chelsea ended up where they were. We sat there and we went, Chelsea should expect to be in the Champions League final. It's the same for England. It is. It's the same. England should expect to be in the final of this European Championship. Now, winning it is a whole different question because we've got a number one. However, looking good. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that I also thought it was slightly strange uh, the DJ thought, well, the, the crowd thought that England didn't play brilliantly. I, I thought that England started both halves poorly. Mm, um, I would 100%. make that point. And there is this kind of, again, I, I keep talking about kind of unspoken elements, but I'm going to try my best to try and bring them up in that there's this unspoken element that England haven't conceded. They haven't been behind. We haven't seen this England team chasing a game. Now, they have shown enough to me, I think, to suggest that it's not going to be a problem. The heads aren't going to drop. You know, like you said today, the magnitude of the occasion didn't get to people. Um, the fact that it was all played out in the same kind of spirit, in, in the same kind of tempo, that the England didn't let the game get away from them. They just grew into it on both halves and, and started to slowly assert themselves on it is a good sign. Um, but I do think there's that element of, okay, if England start game slowly which is something that not we've seen a lot of. They obviously started the game against Croatia, the first group game really, really fast. Um, but since then, I think we've seen slightly sluggish mm. starts to, to halves and, and to games. Um, if England do concede in one of these in one of these halves if they do concede in one of these chances what are the what's the the morale going to be like at that point is it england are going to one nil their way like a portugal to the to the final and beyond or are they good enough to see right we've gone behind heads don't drop we get back in this we make it count um, and that's the big kind of unquantifiable for me right now with this england side i think yeah, I could definitely see a scenario. If there's a team I can think of here on 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 that side of the draw that if you start slow against, you will be punished. It's, I think if we end up playing against Denmark um, and we start slow in the first, we will concede in the first ten minutes. Yeah, that, yeah, that, Kim Mailer just flying down the left. That will that will happen. So that I can understand that as a concern. Yeah, um, absolutely. And like England haven't put all the pieces together, but they put enough of them together to be a very good tournament football side at this stage of the competition and and having. And having played four games looked very, very difficult to beat. And that's that's part of it. Again, it's not that fun, but it's it's that's it's actually the main part of it. That's how you win tournaments. It's how Portugal yeah. won the last one. Um look, Pogba, Pogba scored an absolutely outrageous goal and started dancing after it and was rightly punished by losing the game. We've got no room for that. You have to be slow, sluggish, terrible to watch, and that's how you win tournaments. You can't enjoy yourself, Paul. Come on. Come yeah. on. I'll have no Pogba slander on the podcast. Um, <laughs> no, what a, we didn't actually get to talk about that goal when we talked about Switzerland, but that is a f- 
Oh, unbelievable strike. It's just outrageous. Probably <sighs> performance full stop, actually, yeah. was outrageous. Um, yeah. But the we're talking about clinic. England. Um, so so we'll, we'll, now... stay away from, we'll stay away from Paul Pogba for the, for the time being. Okay, but it's well, probably time you got us on to your number one. It is It is still Italy. Italy are still top. They've been top since day one on this, haven't they? And they're still here. They're still kings of the castle. We've been to see them in the flesh. We can absolutely 100% affirm to any of you who are doubting them that Italy are class. They were given the most trouble that they've probably been given in this tournament against Austria. Austria worked incredibly hard to keep them at bay and to trouble them in midfield. And to we try saw to... the most unbelievable one-man show that I've ever seen from David Alaba. We thought his group stage performances were unreal. <laughs> oh my lord! Until and unfortunately for him, until the Chiesa goal, where he gets he gets sucked inside and 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 allows the man over on the right hand side to get too much space and he can't quite recover. And it's a shame because. Up until that point, he had been the cancellor, the nullifier. He had been unbelievable, but he did 99 good minutes, to be fair. Not many yeah, people yeah. could do that. Absolutely. I mean, look, I thought, I thought for what it's worth, I thought Schlager and, and Leimer were also excellent. But yeah. when you're talking about Austria's best players and you're listing a, a, a do-it-all defender and two utter workhorse midfielders who were just snuffing things out and putting out fires, that tells you what kind of rhythm this game took. And Italy had more trouble breaking through Austria than they have any other team this tournament, but still got into that final third almost all of the time. Spinazzola still could not be stopped. Chiesa came off the bench and just made a hell of an impact, such an impact that I'm so torn as to whether or not he should start the next game because, yes, he deserves it. But also, if you take him into the starting lineup and things don't go your way, what change of pace option do you have? Is Berardi the same? I'd argue not, and that's a funny one for Mancini, but it's the point we always come back to with Italy. If that's your biggest problem, you're doing all right. And Italy, you know, what I said about England was they haven't put all the pieces together yet. They haven't, they haven't produced great tournament football, defensive solidity, and entertained. They've only done two of those three things. Italy have actually done all three. They're just such a joy to watch. They're such a joy to behold all the time. And, you know, if you're looking for, obviously, the, the neutrals favourite in this tournament is Denmark. But if if that storyline was to be taken out of it, neutrals will be watching Italy and Spain to a point because of, of what happened in the last game. But, you know, they only decided to score five goals twice in a row in a tournament. But <laughs> but Italy have been consistently excellent going forward um, and they've been consistently great to watch, even in the nil-nil against Austria. You know, it wasn't, it, you know, sometimes you look back at a nil-nil uh, in the first 90 minutes and you look back at it and you think, well, not much happened there. That was a bit of a board draw. This was not. This was not a board draw. This was this was attack versus defence in many ways. Obviously, Arnatovic has the goal disallowed in the second half, and he's slightly unlucky to be offside um, because it is marginal. But overall, it, it did feel like it was Italy probing and pressing and looking for the, the lock to be unlocked. And, you know, when it finally did come, I think that the feeling around Wembley, you know, which was mostly Italian fans, we'll be honest, was relief. You know, it was a sense of palpable relief that Italy had finally got through the door. Um, and the second coming straight after that is, I think, a sign of once the once the dam went down, right, the the, every, the water started to flood in. Um, and well, yeah, that's it, another it's... sign of their relentlessness, which is something we've praised throughout. It's like when they get a goal, they go and get another one. That Turkish performance set the tone. They just go and go and go. And they got one goal in extra time. Most other teams in this list then sit on possession and just try to see that out. England do, Spain do, 100%. They try and see that out at 1-0 an extra time. Italy were like, right, let's go get another one. Quick, quick, let's get another one, quick. The only reason I'd maybe question this is that they play Belgium, who are the number one ranked side in the entire world in the next round. Now, I know you've got Belgium a little bit lower than some might because of the, the injuries that they have facing them. That still feels like an incredibly difficult game. And if Italy are going to win this tournament, it looks like if you did, if you did this on paper on favourites to win every time, they'd have to beat Belgium and then Spain and then England to win it. That's a very, very tricky run to the to the final and, and beyond. It really is, yeah. And it, it caused me a little bit of consternation, but not too much consternation, I think. It was like it was it was a five minute, five minute thing earlier today where I was like, No, they've been the best team. They've shown absolutely no signs of slowing down. I love I love the relentlessness to their performances. I love the fact that they can go through those gears. And I really do think that they can do this to anybody. And yes, it's tough. It's a tough old task. Um, but I guess it's just a, a certain element of belief in Italy. And obviously the obvious caveat being if De Bruyne and Hazard are fit, then this becomes much more difficult. And maybe we start to look at things, but that all plays into this. And yeah, it's a tough run, but I think they can do it. 
I, I very much hope so. I hope I they don't. Hope so. I know you hope they don't, they but I very not. much hope they do. Um, I, I think they've they've deserved it from the outset. They've been the, the most fun team to watch at this tournament. They've been the best team at this tournament, um, and and it's in you know incredibly enjoyable to watch. Uh, and I, for one, would like to watch them all the way to the final, uh, and then I would like to watch them lift that trophy because <laughs> I think that that's exactly what brilliant football, brilliant fun, uh, and the spirit of the game deserves. One one thing I do like, and obviously this can't happen if I'm to be truly happy, um, but one thing I do quite like is when a team wins every single game they play and wins the tournament. There's something really special about that. And Italy Italy and, and Belgium are the, are the teams that are actually able to do that in this tournament still. There's only two left. And well, there'll only be one left in a week. <laughs> only one left in three days, mate. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and there's something really special about that, and it is is technically on for a couple of teams. If yeah. someone's not gonna, if someone has to beat England in the final, it better be a team that has won all of their games. There you are. There you have it. You heard it here first uh, from Mr. Samtai. Um, there you have it. Then eight Ukraine, seven Czech Republic, six Switzerland, five Denmark, four Belgium, three Spain, two England, and one Italy is Sam's ranking of the eight quarter finalists uh, in order of how likely he thinks they are to win Euro 2020 slash Euro 2021, if you want to call it that. Um, and that's it pretty much from us for, for this week's pod. Um, we hope you enjoyed Dean Jones's recount of what happened at Wembley today between England and Germany. Hope you enjoyed Sam and I's discussions over what happened at Italy-Austria, but also about all the teams left in this competition. Uh, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tai. If we could start a whip round for Jack's missing one and a half thousand pounds, I would feel less guilty. So I'll set up a link and I'll send it to you all. Don't worry. It's going to be on a Kickstarter very soon. Um, I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back next Thursday on the main feed uh, after those semi-finals are played with our big final preview. Um, and... Until then, enjoy the quarterfinals, enjoy the semi-finals. We hope whoever you're supporting, they do really well, unless they're playing Denmark. Thanks for listening. See you later. Peace.